Ahoy everybody! Thank you for tuning in to Airborne Entrepreneur. Hey everyone, welcome to my podcast and I can't wait to introduce Dr. David Shirazi with me today. That's amazing. Thank you very much for coming and joining me today. Oh, it's my sincere pleasure. This is very exciting for me. <laughs> I would probably just uh, explain a little bit why I have you here because I was really excited about what you do, what you study mm -hmm. and what is your research about. And I also would like to know more about your background. I don't want to go there because I know you have so many doctorates and masters of science. I know you, you study the traditional Chinese medicine. I know there's master of arts of psychology, so many things that I read about you. And I was like, okay, probably I'm not the person to talk about it because your background is amazing and it's, it's absolutely impressive. And that's why I'm so happy you actually are spending time with us today, because I think you will give us a lot of answers and, and a lot of topics that we can talk about around sleep, around psychology, around Chinese medicine, you know, when we have any pain or any disease or yeah, any problems, I think that will be great. Thank you very much. And mm -hmm. I will probably ask you to tell us something about you, about your background, anything that you would like us to know. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Whatever you'd like. Yeah. So what would you <laughs> like, to, what would you like to begin? <laughs> Not okay. enough time for that, but let's 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 ask like wow, like you have to have like thousands of hours of study. Like let's start yeah. there. Like, like yeah, you <laughs> can say that. <laughs> well, like, so after after college, you know, I went to dental school. You know, my my mom's a dentist. I was a dental assistant from the age of 14. So at 22, I went off to dental school. I loved it. Um, and just so you know, four years of dental school is equivalent to 10 years of your life passing. It's so dense <laughs> with information um, that that should be worth 10 hours of data, not four. Um, and then when I came out, um, I felt like I needed to learn so much more just to be a dentist. So I came out, I was doing about 200 hours a year of continuing education in all aspects of dentistry, like surgery, root canals, orthodontics mostly, and as it turned out, TMJ and sleep therapy. And um, it's interesting. Just, yeah. And as soon as, so I graduated in 2000 and then as soon as I graduated, I took my boards and then January, 2001, uh, started the Chinese medicine. Yeah. That's big and, different. Yeah. Like from dentist to Chinese medicine, that was, yeah. what so was attracting I, you? <laughs> so I, I have to tell you this in, in all honesty, every single one of my degrees and my accomplishments and everything I do is for purely selfish reasons. <laughs> okay. Thank you for your honesty. Let's go. Yeah. There. <laughs> so like with dentistry, I enjoy working with my hands. I enjoy a lot helping people and communicating with them, like, you know, finding some common ground. Yeah. So the dentistry was a no brainer. My mom inspired me. So it's very easy. And then the Chinese medicine, I actually had no intention to practice it. What I wanted to do was when I had my own family, I wasn't married yet. When I had my own family, I wanted to treat them in a more holistic way. When I was uh, 18, uh, I had a cold, right? And my mom being a neurotic Jewish Persian woman said, <laughs> oh, go, go to the doctor, right? So I go to the doctor and the waiting room is full of people hacking and coughing. <laughs> And I just had a little cold. Very so normal. Went, right? So I went home. I came back an hour later. And uh, they took me in. And they're like, they're like, okay, here's some antibiotics. I said, well, okay. Uh, I, you know, everyone in my family is a doctor or dentist. So I, I had a little bit of knowledge, little bit. So I just asked. I said, because I knew that um, a rhinovirus meant the nose. So I said, well, this problems in my nose, right? He goes, yeah. I go, it's, it's a virus, right? He goes, yeah. I go, well, what's the antibiotic going to do for a virus? Yeah. And he goes, well, the, the antibiotic will focus on the bacteria in your immune system so that your immune system can focus on the virus. I'm like, okay, I don't know any different. So I tell my mom, she's a dentist. Wow. She's like, yeah, you, you got to do it. If the doctor told you to do it, you have to do it. That's yeah. that I'm dating her now, but that's kind of the genre. And so I took it, I got better. And before that was before internet. So I went to the library 
looked at the research. And even back then, this is like 1991, even back then we knew that you don't give antibiotics for viral disease. Um, one, you know, for no other reason other than you could develop an, a, you know, a resistance to it and it won't work for you when you really need it. That was yeah. one of the reasons. So I had made a decision then that um, when I got out of dental school, I wanted to be a dentist since I was 14. I decided that when I got out of dental school, I would learn something holistic that I could then, you know, use for my family. And um, when I was doing martial arts, when I was 2021, 20, my teacher uh, was, when he was in the army, he was a dental technician. And he kept telling me about Chinese medicine. He kept telling me about Chinese medicine yeah. as it relates to martial arts and the internal and the external work. And, uh, and I had called the, the, the oldest accredited acupuncture school in America is called uh, SAMRA. And um, I called the school up and the secretary gave me the dean right away. I was like, oh, okay. And the dean was like, yes, whatever you like, come. I'll give you a private tour and tell you everything. I said, okay. So as soon as I finished dental school, I went and studied Chinese medicine. And it's very interesting. Obviously, I like learning. Um, and again, I, I need to point this out. I wasn't married. So I had a lot of free time to yeah. travel, learn things, go away for the weekend <laughs> anytime I wanted. It was great. Um, it's still great. And, uh, and then at the time that I was in the clinic in acupuncture school, we're doing acupuncture. And at the same time, I'm doing orthodontics and we're resolving these children's uh, headaches and migraines and sleep apnea. We didn't really know it was sleep apnea. We just knew it was, they were getting better sleep. And uh, I said, oh, this is great. I'm gonna do this to adults. And I did it to adults and I was having pretty good success. And then I started applying the acupuncture with the adults and it was fantastic. I said, you know, I could do this for a living, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's when I decided when I got my acupuncture license to limit my practice to pain, sleep and orthodontics. Yeah. And we actually have centers. We actually have centers in Australia, including Perth, where you are. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. one of our centers uh, is actually studying to become an acupuncturist as well. Oh, that's great. That's yeah, awesome. I think, I I think he's in Sydney. I think okay. he's in Sydney though, but yeah, wonderful guy. Yeah. Awesome. If you will have anyone in Perth, let me know. Yeah. I would love to connect with them. Absolutely. And yeah. I would like to probably touch base on, on that, what you said, because you said oh, so many great points. The first thing I had the same experience, I actually didn't go to doctor when mom sent me because I realized they always just give me the antibiotics. And I was like, I don't want any more antibiotics because it's silly. Like, I don't want to have them because they are not actually for flu. And, you know, every time when yeah. you just feel a little bit sick, you're going straight away to doctor and you always get the uh, antibiotics. And actually, if I didn't stop that, I will probably, uh, probably antibiotics are never going to work on me because I will be having mm. probably every year a few times. Every year you want yeah. antibiotics for a new sickness. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I, I just kind of stopped going to doctor just because of mm. that. I, and I really lost the trust in doctors because I, I and I don't know, I, I was kind of taking that with me. It was very, it was kind of sad because I had really bad luck like for a while and it cost me things like I can't have kids anymore and it cost me a lot of stuff mm. just because of doctors and they didn't realize what's wrong with me didn't know what's wrong with me for a year mm. and it was it was very for me that was that was big fight and is that's why I'm really it's more like I'm inclining into that Chinese medicine because I believe in that I believe mm -hmm. there are so many things we can heal it's coming from nature it's coming from old learnings and yeah. and it's just so amazing and I love when people study that because it's it's really helpful. I know that Chinese medicine always helped and, and everyone I know, they always come like, oh my gosh, you know, I was with this doctor, that naturopath or Chinese medicine doctor, right? It was awesome. Like, you know, they helped me with herbs. They helped me to change something in my, my food or, you know, the way how I'm exercising or doing things. It, it was, it's always great result. That means I absolutely can't wait to talk more about that. And it's funny how naturally, like you, you're like, yeah, I, I want to help people more. And I guess that's why maybe 
you were attracted to that Chinese medicine because you realized you can help even more. Yeah. More than, than dentists. Yeah. That was probably yeah. the main. There, there's, there's a fundamental layer. Like there's so many things that are, like everyone is a web. Everyone is so, they have so many layers. So we've got the physical, we got the physiological, we got the airway, the neurological, the emotional, the genetic, the ancestral, the dietary, the gut floor. There's so many levels and layers to every person. And it's such an interesting challenge to try to find out what each person's priority level is yeah. and then try to, because, because appliances aren't going to do, because, you know, we use appliances to do ortho or to treat sleep apnea or to treat TMJ problems, but they don't always fix the problem. I have to refer out as well. Yeah. You know, any help? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And uh, that was interesting. You mentioned that you did uh, martial arts and uh, it's so funny how you always, always see the martial arts, who is teaching martial arts is usually in army or ex army. It's very great connection. <laughs> it's, it's kind of always the same. And what, what did you do? Like what, what kind of, what type of martial arts? I studied Shaolin, you know, oh, it's an, you must've heard of it, right? It's an ancient yeah. Chinese uh, system. Um, and what, one of the things I liked about it is what they have, they have what's called the external and the internal. So you do the external, like the movements, the positions, and you do the internal, which is the breathing. Yeah. Right? And, and it's for your focus and it's for using your body and your gravity and for just generating your own energy. Yeah. And that was something that I would love to talk about, but I'm not sure if the breathing is before or after, but it's more, I, I would like to go a little bit deeper into that uh, sleeping study that you run, because I know it's, it's something big in your life right now. And I yeah. know you do a lot of stuff around that. Let's talk about that. And maybe what is, uh, why sleeping, why sleeping study? Why did you choose uh, to do that and actually continue that journey? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we will dive into maybe some benefits or something that is important and how they're influencing, okay. how that is influencing our life. Yeah. So this, the, the sleep part was actually, <laughs> it was very weird. Um, you You're know, going to sleep, yeah? <laughs> no, no. First, I, uh, I, I was first a TMJ expert before I became a sleep apnea expert. And now we know uh, that 50% of the time, the reason why we clench our teeth at night is mm -hmm. because of some form of sleep apnea called upper airway resistance syndrome. Uh, but I don't think I knew that then. And, uh, but I had taken all the sleep apnea courses for dentists already. And, you know, they were, they were so remedial. They were, they were, after you've taken a, a couple, after you take like three, four, five, they're all the same. They don't have anything new. Yeah. And the medical ones were very much pill, you know, pharmaceutical driven, CPAP driven or surgical driven. There was never any, um, desire to fix the problem. It was just sort of, well, this is the treatment we have. And to be honest, CPAP is sort of fixing the problem in real time. Um, you just, you know, it, it's not something that half the people want to stick with. So I was taking courses that were designed for sleep technologists. Sleep technologists are the ones that do uh, the sleep study. You know, the ones where you go into yeah. the lab and you have the leads and the nasal and the thermistor and all that. Yeah. And, uh, and I was taking all these courses and I was really enjoying it because these guys are like legends. They're, they're like, they're <laughs> jotting down data from 20 different leads in real time. And when they're doing like a CPAP titration, they're actually fiddling with the CPAP machine while they're looking monitoring the patient in real time. So these guys are amazing, right? Yeah. And well. I was learning so much great, useful information in these courses. And the guy who's now the president of the BRPT came up to me and goes, oh, so you want to be a sleep technologist? I said, no, no, no. I just want to like learn this information. He goes, I, I go, I go, well, you know, I, I'd be open to becoming a sleep technologist. He goes, okay, well, you'll be our first dentist if you become one. I go, okay, great. And he goes, so you also want to open up your own sleep lab, right? I said, uh, no, I don't have any desire to open up a sleep lab. And, uh, and he goes, are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to open up your own sleep lab? I was like, well, I even asked him, I go, are you soliciting me? I like, 
So I was, I remember it was my birthday. I was flying home and I was thinking to myself, so I always referred out as, as all dentists do for a sleep study, whether in-home study or an in-lab. Yeah. And we do know that half the people that are given CPAP give up on it, okay? And I was noticing that for every 10 patients I was sending out, I was getting one back, right? And the one wasn't out of the 10, it was some other patient, right? Okay. And, uh, and I would tell them like, uh, why aren't you guys sending me your CPAP failures? That's, that's in your guidelines. If they can't tolerate the CPAP, the next best thing for mild to moderate cases are oral appliances. And they're like, oh no, we have like a 99.9% .9 success rate. I go with the CPAP. I'm like, listen, your patients are coming to me on their own. I go, maybe they're too afraid to tell you to your face. Okay. But, <laughs> but even though the CPAP works and it works better with an oral appliances, it's just not tolerated as well. The example I give is the difference between ointment and suppository right? A suppository medication look, works much better than a topical cream, right? Yeah. But who wants to do a suppository every night up there? And who would rather just put on a cream, right? And if you're getting 80% of the results of the suppository, then I'll, I'll do the topical cream just so I don't have to do, <laughs> just so I don't have to do the CPAP. So, so I was thinking to myself, so I'm referring all these pe people away and I'm not getting them back. It's not a very reciprocal sort of thing. Um, but my passion was research. So I made, I built the sleep lab. When I built out my new office is eight years ago now, uh, I built out a new sleep lab in addition. And, and we were very lucky. We got, uh, we got a great uh, research study where we're testing insomnia with the medication. And uh, it was great. And I got to be the one to just test it for them. It was a very, it was a, it was a multi-center study. And I really just loved being a principal investigator. I loved being the, re the research aspect of it. And being now, I was for five years, being a sleep technologist, I was able to kind of speak both sides of the coin. So if I had a physician that didn't understand what I was doing, I would explain to him using his language yeah, that's on how point. we can combine the work together. And when I teach dentists, I teach them about that side of it and the importance of what they do. And like, for example, there's a lot of dentists, we have this thing called a home sleep study that you wear in your own bed and, yeah. you know, get, and, then, and then we give it to a physician to interpret. So there's a lot of dentists that treat sleep apnea and they want to be able to diagnose sleep apnea using that home sleep study, right? And I'm the first one to tell them no. <laughs> Okay. I go, you don't have the credentials. You don't have the training. Even as a diplomat in sleep, as we are, we don't have the training on how to read or interpret a sleep study as it relates to the patient's medical history. Okay. Patient could have an iron deficiency. Patient could have narcolepsy. They could have insomnia. These are things that are not going to get picked up on a sleep study. And that person needs to know say, okay, well, this in-home study is not enough. I think you've got a more centrally mediated problem or physiological problem. I need to send you for an in-lab study and I need to send you to a doctor that's gonna manage your care, right? And I'm sorry, 100% of dentists don't have that training. 99.9% .9 of dentists yeah. don't have that training. So it's like, it would be nice. It would make things more convenient, but that doesn't mean that's what's right for the patient. Yeah. And yeah. I know you mentioned that that is a uh, connection, like when you grind the teeth, like mm -hmm. is, is that, what is, what is that? Like, is there any cause that you know, or it's, it's very individual? Yeah. So we have, well, it's always a, every individual, but we have multiple studies now, I think three, at least four, where while we're doing a sleep study on the patient, okay, half the time, 50% of the patients that clench their teeth, hmm. we see their airflow going down. And so they're doing what's called shallow breathing, like, like uh, okay. almost like snoring. We call it upper airway resistance. And then when the airflow goes down, then we see the clenching activity of our masseters going up and the people clench their teeth. And presumably when we clench our teeth, we clench like this, 
and it tightens up our throat muscles and our tongue, right? And then when we see with the clenching muscles up, when the airway is normal again, then we stop clenching. Okay, that's interesting. So when okay. we look at an airway, now the other 50% of the time, we see people clenching their teeth and the airflow is doing nothing synchronistically with the clenching. So okay. we always use the word stress, right? Mm -hmm. So stress means in my, my understanding in this context is anything that causes an autonomic nervous system disturbance, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have emotional stress, right? You, someone cuts you off on the freeway, you can come home and clench your teeth if you're upset by that, right? In the last year, the whole world has had a good reason to clench their teeth. It's been stressful for everybody. But in addition, if you have, for example, a gluten or dairy sensitivity, food sensitivity, and you have a slice of pizza before you go to sleep, you're going to clench your teeth probably. That's amazing. I just, yeah. I think it's so so great to talk about that just because um my partner is doing that something or he has re some, sometimes and he has problem with sleep like i know it's mm. it's a lot connected with actually food like he can't be hungry he can't sleep when he's hungry i'm not sure if he's just telling that to himself because i said again you know just being hungry like it's better to have less food before the night like to have a lot of food it, i don't know it, what is your opinion it depends yeah. and that the answer to that is it depends right so oh. It depends how much how much ketones they have in their body. It depends how many carbs they eat um, and what their body has fat adapted and insulin adapted to. So, for example, for a lot of some people actually need calories to go, to sustain them through the night. Okay, but you won't get that eating a pizza. Okay, you'll get that eating a highly fatty food like okay. nuts like nuts, butter, coconut, things like that, because it takes your body so long to degrade the fat into either a ketone or into like sugar, into glucose. Yeah, yeah. So that degrading process will carry on through the night. Okay, right? absolutely. Whereas if you sense. have sugar, yep. if you have like a cup of yogurt, which today is mostly sugar, if you have that and you think you're healthy, but you're not. Okay. It's not yeah. <laughs> right. But some of them are good. If you're having a raw goat uh, okay. yogurt made from like the, the milk yeah. fat, then it's, it's probably going to like be okay. Real milk. Food. Yes, exactly. Re real real like milk. Goat, goat milk, right? Particularly yeah. or brown cow milk. Um, what we'll find if you're having just regular old yogurt, what ends up happening is your brain has enough glucose but then your body burns through it so fast, halfway through the night, you wake up and you don't even know you're hungry. You just wake up. Yes, absolutely. Right? So some people actually do need calories through the night, but it's best if those calories are 100% uh, ketogenic, meaning mostly fat yep. and some protein. So nuts are great. Like macadamia nuts are great. Um, even pecans are great. Buttery food, if you don't have a allergy to it, is great. Yeah, that's very interesting. And that's actually great. That's uh, probably very important information that can help me <laughs> right now. And uh, yeah, with sleeping, um, let's let's talk about a little bit of benefits because I know it's connected also with breathing. You, you, you mentioned something about breathing, breathing techniques and sleeping. Is there anything, uh, any study you do around that or how we can, how breathing can probably calm us down because I'm, do, I'm doing a lot of meditation and a lot of yoga and I'm really like I, I love breathing techniques and I think they're really mm -hmm. useful and is there anything in your in your study that you can actually like help us to understand yeah. better yeah so there's there's a few studies so meditation on its own I haven't found that to be beneficial for sleep apnea yet maybe I find it one day I don't know <laughs> but um we do know there is a technique called myofunctional therapy where you train your tongue to swallow properly with the tongue on the roof of the mouth. And when you, when you can do that, assuming you don't have a tongue tie, when you can do that, it brings your mandible and tongue forward, which opens up your airway. Um, we see that as a reduction in sleep apnea. If, if, if it's done properly, we see that a reduction in sleep apnea at 50%. Wow. Um, okay. There's been three studies that I know of on didgeridoos from Australia. <laughs> um, 
because it is a special kind of wind instrument, right? As you know, yeah. with the didgeridoo, you inhale through the nose, you keep and the you air, right? And you do a circular breathing. So you inhale while you're blowing out, right? Now, if you think about that, when you're, and it's very hard, by the way, very, very hard. When you do that, it makes your tissues very taut, okay? So I should explain. So sleep apnea, for the most part, is a disease of loss of neuromuscular tone, okay? For the most part. Obviously, if you've got huge tonsils, you can't breathe through your nose, yeah. you're extremely fat and your airway is this big, yeah, 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 that's obstructive too. But um, ultimately, it's neuromuscular tone. So, and what I mean by that is if you see someone that works out at the gym a lot, and when they're at rest, you can see all their muscles and they're not flexing. You just see their, their yeah. muscles. That person, we say, has a strong neuromuscular resting tone. Okay. Yeah. And those that are very flabby, even though they could be strong, they're very flabby tone. Those are the people when it's the upper pharyngeal muscles, those are the people that will have sleep apnea. Okay. That's interesting. Wow. I never right? connected that. Yeah. Yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to understand we have four points of occlusion. We've got the in the middle of our nose. We've got the, you know, the entrance of our nose, the turbinate space, the back of the throat, soft palate area, and the back of the tongue and infrafringial way. So we have areas that can occlude, uh, like, let's say if, if you have like, for example, a dairy allergy that could give you a stuffy nose. Yeah. And then you're switching to mouth breathing, which then postures your jaw backwards which is back bad for your airway. So it, it, it's a dynamic thing, but keeping neuromuscular tone by learning to swallow with like this myofunctional technique using the spot is effective. Didgeridoo use reduces sleep apnea by 50%. So that's a pretty big number. That's pretty good. 50% significant. Yeah. 50 yeah. That's the same number improvement as surgery. Wow, okay. Yeah. okay. I'm, I'm so, going to probably use didgeridoo. <laughs> Yeah. So assuming your surgery is the correct surgery, right, then we find that nasal surgery will reduce uh, sleep apnea when it's causative about 50%. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I love that. Like, I, I love, like, we can exercise now. We can probably try to do some, some exercise with our tongue and breathing. I think that's very important. Also mm -hmm. the food I, I love, and you mentioned that uh, it's great for some people to have oily, oily oils and oily food that really, really just, just don't have a lot of pizza carbs. And, and like you said, you know, that's something that yeah. we really, we, we digest, we break it down and we are hungry afterwards, even more do hungry. You, and do you guys have avocados in Australia? Yeah, 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 you sure. do. Avo, you have a you call perfect. It like avo, yeah. <laughs> avo and toast, right? Of course you do. So, and you're very sunny. So, yeah, avocados, perfect food. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, perfect very oily. Food, yeah, yeah. And um, I will probably just uh, go a little bit um, into headaches and uh, migraines because I know a lot of people suffer. I would say suffer because it, it is for me that's suffering because if I have a little mm -hmm. small headache that is really annoying me and I can't work. And that's like small headache. I never really had migraine. That means I can't probably even imagine that. Do you have any connections uh, between migraines or food or sleeping or breathing or, or any kind of idea or research done around that? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh my God, there's actually a tremendous amount of research on that. Yeah, let's so, do it. <laughs> so the, the most common type of headache is a tension type headache, right? Those are the ones you feel like right here in the sides that, okay. So that is caused by the greater auricular, greater auricular and greater orbital nerve being pinched between C2, your second yes, yeah. and the base of your skull. I actually, I can feel it sometimes when I, like I can actually on, only headache that I have is usually, it feels like it's from muscles. Like it feels like That's muscle right, pain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Right. And That's it can sometimes it. refer to the front, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a classic tension type headache. And, and we know that it's that because uh, when chiropractors do a cervical adjustment, they'll have instant improvement in their tension type headache, right? Yeah. But then what happens is they go home and they clench their teeth again. <laughs> and when we clench our teeth, we don't just clench here, we clench like this. 
oh, right? Okay. Oh, buddy, and, it, yeah. and it throws that that cervical vertebra off again, and it it causes the tension type headache to come back. Now, a migraine is what we call a centrally sensitized uh, transgeminal vascular disorder. Okay, and from my point of view, that whole big word I used, the least important aspect is the vascular part, okay? But if you go to people that treat migraines with conventional medication, the vast majority of the time, their focus is on the vasculature, okay? And the thing that gets me about that is that blood vessels don't have a mind of their own. Okay? They don't open and close on their own because they're happy or sad that day. Okay? The, a nerve <laughs> has to tell them to open to or open, close. Yeah. It just doesn't work any other way unless you've got some kind of like physical blockage in your brain, um, which is extremely you, rare. You're pumping that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what centrally sensitized mean? This is important for you to know. So uh, peripheral pain, okay? means like, you know, you have a, you have a subluxation in your neck and your hand hurts, right? Or is numb or something. We call that peripheral pain, peripheral pathology, right? Because yeah. it's, it started here and it went it's down to your arm, yeah. but it's here, it's outside the brain. Okay. Central sensitization is when we have a peripheral problem that goes on for so long that the brain itself changes. It goes through physical changes, plastic changes, and causes other parts of the body to either hurt or go into malfunction until you fix the peripheral part, typically. Okay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, yeah. So, so another way of thinking about it, we believe, it's evolutionary, right? We believe that the purpose uh, I mean, one of the theories of central sensitization is you didn't fix the problem. Yeah. Okay? I mean, so brain now tried to... the brain is trying to bring attention to you by getting you to, <laughs> yeah. to, to deal with the problem. So migraines are centrally sensitized to our general disorders. Uh, Trigeminal neuralgias are uh, burning mouth syndrome. These are all centrally sensitized disorders. Okay. Right? So, me... but, but with a migraine, Sure, you could have a jaw problem and a neck problem causing it, but you could have food sensitivities, you could have hormone imbalances, um, and even emotional issues that, that can lead to migraines. Yeah. Okay. That in your studies, or maybe your opinion, um, it is something that you can get rid of. I believe that that's what you believe. Yeah. Like the migraines, you don't need to actually have them. That's my belief. Yeah. I mean, here, here's the thing. Uh, genetics is thrown around a lot, right? And I actually, like, the first two years of dental school are very similar to the first two years of med school. And it was one morning, I don't know if it was pathology or something else, one of the instructors that are, was a physician and he was, you know, explaining, and I raised my hand and I said, so let me ask you something. When we don't know the cause of something, do we just call it genetics or stress? And, and he That's goes, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I raised my hand again. He goes, yeah. I go, that's bullshit. Yeah. Okay. I go, that's, 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 that's not a cause. I mean, genetics and stress do cause disease, but those are very general terms, right? So for example, let's just say hypothetically, someone had a chronic TMJ problem that caused central sensitization of the trigeminal ganglion, and they got either a migraine, trigeminal neuralgia, or burning mouth syndrome. The part that determines which one they get is genetic. Okay. That's, your, that's your hardware that will determine that. Okay. Okay. But the stress is coming from the job. Right, and you need to you need to stop that. You need to prevent that. You need to do something to correct it. In my point of view, interesting. Okay, 
that means uh, in in general because I, I was i was surprised like when i when i talked to you like that was uh when i when i mentioned my sister like for example she has uh, really bad bad headaches and and she has it from childhood basically from puberty or i, th I think it was kind of like 15 hmm. puberty right you you hit the emotional the stuff well it could be emotional it could be what's called overwhelm okay mm -hmm. um but when you say puberty we're talking about a hormone shift yes yeah right so typically people who get what's called menstrual migraines will get the onset of the, the migraine right before they get their period okay this is very very obvious and uh i should tell you this uh neurologists who are the experts in treating headaches do not the vast majority, I'm sure there's some ones out there that do, but the vast majority of neurologists and headache specialists do not actually focus on resolving or balancing the hormones on someone that's got menstrual migraines. Their methodology is, well, let's manage the symptoms with drugs, yeah. like, you know. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, on a, all of drugs, exactly. And I think that's, I, I just don't want to even think about that because I think that's the worst what we can do. Just go straight away into drugs. It's not, it's, well, it's not the worst thing we can do, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's a good resource to have. When I prescribe drugs, it's because I'm trying to figure out what's going on with the person. Are yeah. they responding to membrane stabilizers? Are they responding to anti-inflammatories? Are they start, you know, responding to a diet change? What are they responding to? Which is helpful. Yeah. Um, and if I don't know what's going on with the patient, the medications are a good go-between until we can figure out what's going on. Okay. I don't want to put them on medications for the rest of my life. Yeah. I think I, I was I, I was talking about medication, like, you know, where you talking about almost antidepressants and, and you're talking yeah. about medications, they are, they should, you know, get rid of the pain, calm you down, you know, and all that stuff. I think that's a little bit wrong because you, you're going a little bit too, I, I guess, too far with medications. I understand when you said, you know, you try anti-inflammatory, you, you try food, you, you try a few different things, yeah. but being, you know, forever on, I don't know, Xanax or something else. I don't know. Like, I don't know all the names of medications. I never use them, but when you are on them, I think that's, yeah, I just, I feel like <laughs> I shouldn't probably talk about that because that's for me, like that's, that's the shady dark place. Well, it, it can be, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah. Um, you know, part of the problem is uh, physicians don't have training on how to fix diseases. Yeah. Okay. They have excellent training on diagnosing, like doing a uh, an MRI, a CT, a blood, a blood yeah. test to find out what's going on. But then the treatment is often some kind of pharmaceutical uh, drug to pacify the symptoms, to reduce the patient's symptomology. Or if it's not good enough, they'll look for a surgery they can do. They're usually amputating something. So a functional-based person, a functional physician, a naturopath, a Chinese medical doctor, a chiropractor that's more focused on the functional aspect of why we got it to begin with is going to focus on, okay, well, let's see if we can find out a, a root cause to this. Let's see if we can find out. And then let's hope that what I do for you doesn't make it worse. So for example, we know that medications like Xanax actually causes people to clench their teeth more mm, okay right it reduces REM sleep which is what we need for emotional processing and it causes our patients to clench their teeth well if the reason you're having a tension type headache is because you're clenching your teeth taking this medication is going to exasperate that right but at the same time if someone is dealing with a ptsd someone is dealing with a breakup, someone is dealing with a loss of a loved one, uh, they need help. They, they, need, they need help. Yeah. And I hate to say it, I don't recommend drugs as the first line of treatment, but at the same, it's not my field. Um, but at the same time, if someone sits there and says, I cannot cope with what is happening, 
okay? Yeah. It, it's something that you can offer to see if you can bring them down. I think that's, that's again, why all the industry of coaching and NLP, you know, came out because we are actually helping people with trauma. That means you don't need to actually go on medication. You can reduce well, the trauma. Of course, you need to deal with that. Like we basically teach people to deal with that because when you suppress- what, what do you do? What do you, what do you do to deal with PTSD? I don't, I don't have uh, people or clients with PTSD. I, mean, I was more talking about the loss of someone, you know, like, uh, or just going through traumas, going through, through hardship in their life, because sometimes it is, you know, a few different changes. It can be hormonal changes going with the trauma. There's a few different things. And there's a lot of NLP techniques. There's a lot of trauma release, you know, and, and, and anchoring and, and making only like when you think about session, you know, when you, when you have session every week with someone and you make them feel great, on that mm -hmm. session they can take it with them they can actually practice the the some nlp practice practice every every day they can do mm -hmm. it for themselves mm -hmm. i'm not saying it is uh it, it's more about don't suppress or don't prolong that suffering because sometimes medications make you you know calmer and make you feel better because you, you don't have that strong emotions mm -hmm. but it takes longer time and you need to be a long time on medications but when you're dealing with that i believe it's uh it's making the process a little bit different, a little mm. bit probably shorter. And, and also you can avoid that long time on medication and have the, you know, other things, because I believe all medications causes are something, you know, there are side effects. Oh, yeah. there, are, there are things that are happening. We don't want in our life. And you know, <laughs> that, that's kind of the, the expression we have here in the States is we'll say, if you're taking a medication to fix a problem. Okay you are now healing from two things instead of one. You're first healing from the problem and then you're healing from the medication later, right? So in the context of sleep, I always say that sleep is more important than diet and exercise put together, okay? And I don't mean to say this facetiously. Uh, we get almost 100% of our growth hormone from one stage of sleep. We get all of our mental emotional processing during REM, yeah. okay? And we have countless studies on, we, we wrap things like depression and anxiety into one word called psychosocial disorders, okay? And there are so many research studies where they correlate uh, the severity of someone's depression or someone's anxiety, and they'll do sleep studies on them and their sleep apnea is one-to-one -one related, meaning the more severe their depression, the more severe their apnea, okay? And now in separate studies, we've on patients who are tolerant to CPAP or our patients who are tolerant to the oral appliances that are successfully treating sleep apnea, we see a reduction or a resolution in these psychosocial issues when the sleep apnea is resolved. This is, we, yeah. We see it all the time. Yeah, this is such a huge topic because it, even if you will go to anxiety or, or depression, I was actually thinking about something what happened because I, I couldn't sleep one, one part of my life. Like I had really hard time to sleep and I, it was actually caused by kind of stress because we like had the burglars coming out trying to go into the house. And wow. after four times that happened, they never came in, but there was like broken doors or, you know, they steal some stuff around the house. And it was very strange, but that stress and that fear was causing me to create a stories and vision around like, okay, what I would, mm. what I would do when they will actually come in. And I was, when I was alone uh, during the night, when I was with my partner, that was fine. But, but when I was alone, I couldn't sleep. Every sound, wind, whatever it was, mm. woke me up. Yeah. First, huge anxiety. My heart was like, you know, after 30 kilometers run, like I, I just felt like I'm so awake and, and I couldn't calm myself down. Then I realized, because I'm working a lot with the thoughts and, and that neuroscience part, like we can actually change the thoughts, change the story and change the physiology with what we do and what, how we feel. And that was the only thing that helped me. It took me so long. Do you have anything around that? Like what you, what you would like to say? Because I think that's big, big topic. Well, well, okay. So to me, what you're describing is PTSD. Okay. That is PTSD. So for example, 
when we had our Vietnam veterans come back, okay? Uh, one of the things that was very stressful for them is they would be in a covered truck. They would like, all the soldiers are in the back, they're covered. And the person in front is always looking to see if there's a bomb on the road or if it's an ambush, okay? And so when the bus would come to a stop, the soldiers, some soldiers would be stressed out of their mind. Am I going to die right now? Is a bomb going to blow me up right now? Right? Because they didn't know. And then, you know, they would go on after they checked and there was no bombs. Now, what we found here in LA, I don't know if you have it in Perth, but we have a traffic problem. <laughs> we have a major track of traffic problem in the whole, the worst in the whole country. We have the <laughs> 330 million people and we have the worst traffic in the, in, the, in the country. And a lot of these Vietnam veterans were having traumatic episodes when the freeway would come to a stop. Oh, wow. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and they would have a flashback of when they were stuck and they, and they would have panic attacks and they would freak out. And some of them would get into a fight and they were, you know, it, it was PTSD. What you described to me is PTSD. So they, they have a lot of treatments for that. Um, with sleep, what's interesting with sleep apnea, which is my ex field of expertise, is sometimes the apneic episode becomes the PTSD. Meaning someone will fall asleep and let's say at 3.30 in the morning, hypothetically, they wake up, <gasps> oh, they capture their breath, right? Because they've been holding their breath, they've been choking while they were unconscious, okay? The brain, as you know, high stressful moments go into our unconscious, yeah? So what ends up happening is the brain makes a mental note that at 3.30 in the morning, we were choking to death, this is bad, right? So until that's resolved, the person can have a PTSD where they wake up every morning at 3.30. And it takes them a long time to go back to sleep where they don't go back to sleep, mainly because they had a very scary episode of choking in the middle of the night and it created a PTSD. Yeah. Right? This complicates treatment, but it's a very important aspect of it. This is, yeah, wow. This is, I... I can feel when we're talking about that, like I can feel how I felt because I know it took me really long time, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Like I never diagnosed this myself, you know, I did never really said what it is, but I know it was some kind of stress and trauma, like something that was actually coming back to me. And, and it's, uh, it's just so interesting what you're saying, because I, I was at the stage, like you look, I need to sleep because I know I'm destroying my health. I'm yeah. actually not functioning. And I'm functioning mm. basically all day plus all night because I can't sleep. And after five days, you're like zombie. And there's, you know, Saturday, Sunday, when you can sleep finally because somebody's at home, you're like, yes, I can sleep. Mm -hmm. And, but you can't really catch on the sleep because you're going down all the time. It's kind of like, you know, like you don't sleep, you try to have one, two days you sleep, but you're going down, you're going down because you're more and more tired and yeah. your body just can't handle anymore. And I think that was my, mm point when I was like okay I need to change something and I need to find out how and I I tried to change through my thoughts and breathing my physiology and I can do it now and and I feel great I can sleep and when that happens when I woke up or some sounds you know I can hear something I don't think about that because I know what what I should think about rather mm. it's very interesting and I think that's another maybe another part you know we can talk about anxiety and Maybe we can have another episode <laughs> around this because okay. I think it's it's big thing. I believe a lot of a lot of people have anxiety and uh, a lot of people. It's a big call, problem. Yeah, and a lot of people maybe call even depression. You know, like oh, anxiety, depression. We're going. It's normal now. It's really normal to talk about depressions and anxiety. That means I will probably I will be happy to invite you to, to another episode and and talk about it sometimes later because I think it's very very big uh, sure. issue in the world. Sure. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, do you have anything you would like to share at the end? Just just tell people maybe some some advice or benefits or something they can do around sleeping or feeling so, better. <laughs> so the biggest aspect of sleep is making sure you're getting eight hours or more at night if you can. Sleeping, we have a, a thing called sleep hygiene. And what sleep hygiene is, is 
what you're doing on a regular basis for your sleep. So first of all, regular, it has to be do the same sleep pattern every single night, whether you're working or you're on holiday, okay? Uh, make sure that your bedroom is only used for sleeping and sex, nothing else. Don't eat in bed. Don't do your work on your laptop in bed. Uh, leave your, your bedroom as a sacred place for sleeping and sex only, okay? Yeah, I agree. Uh, diet, you want to avoid anti-inflammatory foods. You know, the big ones in America are gluten, dairy, soy, and corn. But, you know, there are IgG4 blood tests where you can find out which foods are the ones that are going to bother you. Yeah. Um, getting a, if you know you have snoring or sleep apnea, getting a sleep study is incredibly important. Incredibly. Yeah. If there's a long wait to get an in-lab study, try to push to get a home sleep study. You know, yeah. try okay. to focus on the home. Yeah. I love um, that. I'm going to yeah. try for sure. Yeah. It, it's so important. You'll, you'll be impressed. I will tell you this. There is no blood test that gives you amount information that a sleep study does. Wow. Okay? Awesome. You have to realize in an in-lab sleep study, we're looking at 20 different things. Brain waves, breathing, muscle activity, limb activity, heart activity, autonomic nervous system activity. And for whatever number of hours you're asleep, so eight hours of 20 leads of data. I mean, that's a lot of data, right? So, so those are my thoughts. Um, if you know you're clenched your teeth, go to like a TMJ specialist, a TMJ expert to help. Um, we have a website called tmjtherapycenter.com. And center is spelled the way you guys spell it, not the way we spell it. <laughs> so C-E-N-T-R-E. -E. So tmjtherapycenter.com. And the, I think in Australia, we have like six centers, right? We have over 65 centers throughout the world. Awesome. But yeah. six of them are in Australia. We have one in New Zealand. And yeah. one of them is in Perth, where you are. That's great. What I, would, what I will do for our audience, like I, I will share all your information i will share even like that is the, where is the center that you recommend or what mm -hmm. do you think they can go and uh, how they can connect with you of course and also i will probably ask everyone here who is listening if you have any questions for next time you know or if you have anything that you would like to ask or maybe give us a, an idea about topic or where you want to you know, us to go maybe later on. And yeah, I would love to definitely have you again. And this, this was absolutely amazing. And I can talk and ask a million questions about sleeping diseases and Chinese medicine. And I think we didn't even start, you know. We didn't even uh, get into the Chinese medicine. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> that's, that's well, I would be delighted to. I would be yeah. delighted to. No, this was amazing. I think it was really a lot of information and uh, it was very useful for a lot of people probably because i believe that is that is a big problem you know like we have all troubles with our busyness and stress and and all that what is going on in the world uh with sleeping and and other diseases that we mentioned that we mentioned today and yeah absolute look absolute pleasure to have you and and i really would love to invite you again and, and talk about it <laughs> about chinese medicine a little bit more and talk about okay. anxiety depressions and maybe how we can help Mm. ourselves next time thank you very much thank it you it would be my pleasure thank you so much for having me and thank you for being like such a great host and asking such great and important topics thank you very much <laughs> okay have a lovely day